Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I am Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who Shaped Me. It's a book about how we're defined by the women in our lives and how they make us laugh, cry and occasionally want to set fire to things. It's described as a Nancy Mitford novel meets Fleabag, but it's a memoir that appeals. I think you'll like it. The Sisterhood is available from bookshops nationwide. And if you'd like to support the podcast, buying the book is the best way for you to do that. If you're on the Kent coast, come and buy it from the Margate Bookshop, my lovely local. Also, I've got some events coming up that I think if you're curious about books and author chat and what people read that you will enjoy. This Saturday, if you're listening when the episode goes out, on June the 29th, I'll be at the Felix Day Book Festival in the Orwell Hotel with Beth O'Leary, author of The Flat Share, and Olivia Byrne, author of The List That Changed My Life. These women are fantastic writers, so I'm really, really excited to be doing an event with them, and you get a glass of fizz with your ticket. I will also be at Lucy Vine's Hot Mess Clubhouse for a funny author special with Rosie Walsh and YB alumni Aisha Malik. Lucy Vine is, of course, an old guest of ours. That's at Gower Street Waterstones on July the 11th. And on Friday the 26th of July, I'll be at Tottenham Court Road Waterstones interviewing Rachel Deloach Williams about her upcoming book, My Friend Anna. This is Rachel's account of her friendship with the famous fake heiress who dominated our news feeds last summer, the one and only Anna Delvey. It looks like tickets are going quite fast for that one, so I would go for it if you haven't already. Anyway, this week, we are by the seaside in Brighton with the award-winning novelist Dorothy Coombson. Dorothy has been writing fiction since she was 13 years old, and her 15th novel, Tell Me Your Secret, is out this Thursday. She says, I wanted to look at what it means to be a survivor and a victim in today's world and explore how the tentacles of crime reach out and encompass everyone, including those who aren't, at first glance, directly affected by the crime. Dorothy has been described as the queen of the big reveal and this book will make you gasp but Dorothy's skill as a storyteller lies in her ability to look beyond facts and explore emotions and the way human nature is affected by tension and tragedy. We talked about science fiction, about Dorothy's journalism career and giving readers value for money. So this is a, a reading room. Yes, kind of, yes. And that sounds really indulgent, doesn't it? No, it sounds great. I think that it's every... Like, it's like aspire to, yeah. Every person listening, if they don't have a, a dedicated reading room, they would... Yeah. Um, would love, I know my friend Jo, who's um, a big reader and listener, she's got... I mean, hers is a little bit smaller, but it's um, she's got a special a book room. Um, so where do you read most days? Can you read when you're writing, or do you have to keep it separate? I used to stop reading when I was writing, because you end up kind of absorbing the story you're reading don't you and kind of making it into your book Suddenly, the yeah rhythm of it yeah so, and yeah you sort of start so I try to avoid reading as much as possible when I'm writing but you know I have books around I have by the bed in the toilet um Oh, we need that... to go and look at those. <laughs> you do not need to go look at my toilet <laughs> um yeah we kind of I pick up a book um but then, it's, I mean, I get sent so much. There's so much out there that I want to buy and, you know, and want to read. So I kind of stopped the not reading completely when I'm writing things. So is it just a case of trying to find things that are so different from anything you'd write that yeah, you won't but, be yeah. and too yeah. thrown by it? Yeah, and also just sort of 
trying to stay focused as well because I, I do very short, intense, you know, three months of actually just writing and then everything else is research and all the stuff around it. So for three months, it, is, it isn't that hard to not read other things or things that are similar because it's, I mean, those, those are the intense, intense period of just writing all the time. So how does that work in terms of kind of the research? Do you sort of, do ideas come out of the research or do you have a, a framework for what you're going to do and then go and kind of follow it well, up? I have, an, I have an idea initially. I'll get ideas from all over the place, you know, reading. Some people I know get ideas from reading problem pages, don't they? But um, I will hear a conversation, that eavesdrop. I say this and people get very scared. <laughs> so, um, I read an interview where you said that you thought mobile phones were such a good invention because great. you can yes, eavesdrop on people all the time and hear the rhythms of people's speech. Yes, yeah, how, the, how they speak and, and conversations and pauses in conversations and the things that... Because people just walk around with the phone talking about anything, anything and everything. And it's great for me because I go, oh, that'd be a great idea for a story. They're disinhibited, aren't they? Know, and they've got yeah. it in their ear. Know, and... it's, like, it's like they're at home, on, yeah. you know, sat in a room in a, in the, at low in a home. But people do it all the time. So it's great for me to hear that and to hear how people speak and how to talk about different subjects. Um, so I have a spark of an idea and, and that sort of, it kind of grows from there. I, in my head, I go, what if this happened next? And what if this happened next? And then as I'm going through the what if process, I'll then start researching and, the ideas, you know, with Tell Me Your Secret, the idea came from several things. Um, one of them being the whole Me Too thing and how I think a lot of people didn't come forward when things happened to them because, not just because it was shameful, they felt shameful, shame, ashamed of what happened to them, but also because they didn't think they'd be believed. And mm. um, people, you know, it feels a lot of the time that you have to be perfect. You have to be the perfect person before anyone will believe that something bad has happened to you and feel empathy for you and willing to, you know, the police to take it forward or to investigate it properly. And I wanted to write a, a book about people who aren't perfect, women who aren't the perfect victim and who basically have done things like drinking and drugs or, you know, having sex or swearing or just being normal <gasps> women. I know, I know, clutching of hell. Exactly. People who, who do inspire pearl clutching, you know, they're victims and so they deserve to be just as believed as somebody who's deemed perfect. And there is so much you have to do to be on that perfect list for them to be, and then, you know, then to be accepted. So I wanted to tell those people's stories, you know, the victim stories, the the imperfect victim stories, and also with my books, I call them emotional thrillers because mm. I I think about I want to tell the story of the emotions of the people involved. It's not so much about the who done it element, although it's there. Mm. It's about what happens to the people. You know, something awful happens to them, and I want to know how they deal with it and how they move on with it and what goes through their heads. And so, I wanted to tell the story of the victims of you know crime books and stories find out what actually happened to them and what they're going through. If they've survived it, something awful, do they move on? Do you just move on with their life? Because, you know, the story ends, whether it's real life or fiction, the story ends and you kind of go, so what happened to them next? You know, did they manage to move on? Did they did they go back, you know, regress? Or did they feel terrible for the rest of their lives? So that was all this, those are all the things that came into Tell Me Your Secret. And as I was as I came up with the idea for that, I decided to, I need to sort of read other people's stories and then talk to people who've been in sort of not the similar situation to Peter in Tell Me Your Secret, but people who've been in traumatic situations and how they managed to move on with their lives afterwards. It's a really different reading experience, isn't it? Because I think with a lot of thrillers that for lots of people, the appeal must be that kind of, oh, well, you know, that would never happen to me. I'd never be in any situation so weird or so gruesome or so shocking but yes. it's the empathy where and I think you know you um have your characters doing that a lot there's that the sense that everything pivots on on a what if and there's no reason why it couldn't be any of us that it's well, yeah. a kind of radical empathy well when I read stuff I, I I do actually often put myself into that person's shoes I mean apart from sci-fi stuff which I love oh, um really? but what kind of sci-fi do you oh, read yeah, I'm 
big sci-fi fan. I used to work in a comic shop in um, in central London. Um, oh, is called... it Forbidden Planet? Forbidden Planet. I used to work there. Yeah, I used to read lots of comics. I used to read all the two thousand ADs. Latterly, I've got very much into all the Marvel stuff, and you know, um, as you can imagine, Black Panther, <laughs> Black Panther T-shirt. Um, yeah, so I I love all that, and I, I like Doctor Who and. So did that start when you were younger? Were you like a young reader, a teenager? Yeah, reading yeah. When I was very young, actually, I used to. Um, I used to. I'm sure quite a few people used to. I used to buy lots of um, comics. I used to buy all the Bunties and you know Jackie and True Love. What was it? And Blue Jeans and all of them. All those well, ones. Because I was a little bit. The Bunty was still sort of going when I was young and my dad used to read his sisters so I grew up on but also like old bunchies so yes. he'd like have the really old annuals oh, and yeah, the annuals. occasional things like my guy and, and my oh, yeah, guy my was guy great and, for the photo stories I, my, the photo stories and my guy and blue jeans were fantastic weren't they they were so terrible but I loved them I used to read all those and I used to on the Saturday I used to go and buy uh, 2000 AD my friends and I we used to have a pool we used to pool our money together so we can afford it and then we'd pass it around. Ah, genius. So the person, obviously, you'd want to read it first, mm. but the person who read it last got to keep it. So I, uh, so I used to try and, you know, restrain myself for, <laughs> to, um, to have it last. Um, so I, I started it. I started then with those things. And I, I used to love um, Doctor Who, not so much. We didn't get to watch Doctor Who as much, but as time progressed, I obviously I watched Doctor the Doctor Who's really, really changed, hasn't it? Because it's such a sophisticated thing now. And I'm yeah. sure there are Whovians listening who'd be horrified by this, but I, don't, I feel like it wasn't always as sophisticated <laughs> as well, it is yeah, now. I think, I think they've just got more money now to, to yeah. do more things. Yes, I wrote a short story. Oh, about wow. oh Doctor Who. Um, um, we are Towards looking at the, right the fireplace. Right hand side. Here we go, Doctor Who. The day she saved the Doctor. Yes, um, four of us wrote a story. This oh, came out cool. in International Women's Day 2018, where we um, each wrote a companion story, a story about the companions, the people who travel with the Doctor. Um, and I wrote one for Bill, the last Doctor's companion, before Jodie took over. Yes, I also wrote a to audio story which is obviously had a great moment in my life fantastic this is a really beautiful edition this is you susan kalman jenny colgan and jacqueline rayner yes so oh, that is fabulous would you have you written any kind of sci-fi or fantasy only stuff your... that no one else is ever going to see I'd, i mean I, I'd, I'd love to write um proper sci-fi and i have lots of ideas and i have noted them down i did years and years ago i did actually start a lot of sci-fi stories i've got a lot of things i've started and short stories I've started are still there you know I might do something with them at one point I don't know yet that's exciting so what is it about that sort of genre and those universes that appeal to you is it that you can do anything or is you it... can do anything and, and you know and it, no I just I used to love the fantasy element of it there's sort of the anything could happen element of it and everyone looked great and everyone seemed to be you know looking back now you kind of watch I watch them and read stories now and you go oh actually Maybe it wasn't as all peace, love and hope as I thought it was. But at the time, I, I loved it. I mean, Judge Dredd, absolutely. If you if you look at it now, it's, it's actually quite a scary character. Oh. But I loved the idea of this judge who was emotionless and who just implement the law no matter what, whoever it was, you know, for whatever, for whatever reasons. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think that now we're at a time when it is so hard to find anything hopeful in the future. It all just seems terrible. So perhaps that's, you know, sci-fi and fantasy is where you go to to find that optimism. Yes, I suppose at that time it was. It was just like a complete escape. I mean, like I say, when I read nowadays, the books I read that are set now in our real life, they kind of, all that could happen to me. Mm. But but sci-fi stuff, obviously, I'm not going to get bitten by a radioactive spider or... <laughs> oh, we, we hope. <laughs> I hope not. Are there any sci-fi franchises you'd really like to write for? Oh, I don't know. Do you know? I, at one point, I wanted to write Judge Dredd, and but now I think I mean Judge Dredd changed. It, it does. It all changes. You know, this was twenty thirty years ago that I was reading it. So it's kind of it's a long time ago, and everything everything moves on and changes and becomes something completely different. And I don't know. I quite like it's almost handing over the reins of of what I sort of like consumed to somebody else when it comes to sci-fi because it is so it's so removed and I don't want to I don't need to worry about the storytelling or you know the implausibility of it 
So I know a lot of people watched Handmaid's Tale and I, I've never watched it because, as I say to people all the time, it's far too close to reality for mm. for my liking. And this was a couple of years ago I was saying this to people and now everyone's going, my goodness, it, it really is yeah. becoming reality. And, and for me, I couldn't, I couldn't face it. So that sort of sci-fi, I, I don't want to. But as, as Margaret Atwood said at the time, you know, all the stuff she wrote about was happening yeah. elsewhere in the world. It's just that a lot of us didn't, well, a lot of people didn't have a, an awareness that it was happening to people all over. You don't really think it could still be happening no. and, and that's how they get you. Yeah. Did you read it? I read it years and years and years ago, re- a really long time ago. Yeah. So I, And I don't remember. I remember being completely shocked by it, but I don't remember as many elements about it as I do about other books I've read for some reason. I think it's funny, isn't it, with a book, how sometimes it's the feeling of reading yes. it that you remember much more. Yeah. There are books I love, or I couldn't tell you what happened <laughs> plot-wise. What's the last thing that you read that really took you by surprise, where you thought, I'm not sure if this is for me or if I like this, and then you really found yourself connecting with it? Oh, that's a question. Oh, I read, I read recently I read Araminta Hall's book, Our Kind of Cruelty. That was very good. So what's this about? It's about a couple and they've been together not not a very long time, but they have this game they play called The Crave and they go to um, they go to a club and she is approached by a guy and she kind of flirts with him a bit. And then when the guy tries to take it further, he swoops in and saves her and they play this game and then he's kind of starts getting a bit strange and he goes off to America to earn some money. And why is America? She breaks up with him and she meets somebody else and is about to marry this guy. And he comes back from America thinking that it's still part of the game and that she wants him to rescue her and then does something terrible. And so it becomes like about the court case and she, you're not sure if she has, is if it is part of the game. Mm. It's told from his point of view and he's got a very strange way of seeing the world and things he does. Um, and you sort of like all the way through, you're kind of wondering, is it her? Is it him? And then you get to the end, you're like, oh, it's a bit quite, quite shocking the end. I feel quite tense already. Yes, that no, sounds it, great. It, it's a good, it is a good book. Um, yeah, I read uh, Becoming recently as well. Michelle Obama's book. I've still got, I've got that on audiobook and I yeah. keep thinking to sit down and, or not sit down, because that's yeah. the joy of audiobooks, isn't yes, it? You don't yeah, have yeah. to be sat down. Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, that was actually quite surprising because, I mean, I really admire her and reading her book, it was, her life is amazing and what she has had to put up with is amazing as well. And the fact that she still comes across as a good person, despite all the hassle she gets, I mean, harassment, basically, and the things they say about her. I mean, she's one of the most beautiful people mm. on earth and they and they are constantly calling her ugly. And it's it's an awful thing to think that, you know, she's up there and she's still getting treated so badly. And she is somewhat, I think, you know, her sort of her grace and her presence, she's mm. almost got like a gravitational pull. You just cannot believe, I cannot imagine that you could say anything awful about Michelle Obama and Absolutely. she'd sort of entertain it for a second because it's like, well, no, you know you are Michelle Obama. You're exactly. the most amazing woman in the world. But and you know that still... things for other people as well. And that's the other thing that comes across, you know, how how much she loves her family, but also how how invested she is in the world mm. and in next generation, in particularly in girls, and particularly in girls being educated and being self-sufficient. And it's really sad to see that that's not valued by certain people, mm. you know. Yeah as well that did it get a such I mean god I, I would not like to be married to the president even if I did get to be married to Obama um no offense producer Taylor <laughs> I think that that's it's not an easy life for anyone and I guess it's that it's really inspiring that yeah. I guess she made that kind of that sacrifice because she'd be in a position to do so much more for girls yeah, and women but also you you get very and this is what I mean about being her championing girls being self-sufficient. She was a very highly placed person before, you know, she she was a lawyer and she had all this, she was very educated. So all the way through the book, you come to the, you get to the impression that they are equals and he sees her as an equal. Mm. He doesn't see her as his spouse, somebody yeah. who's there. She is somebody who's on equal standing to him. So that makes their relationship seem, I mean, 
it seems like a great relationship, mm. something to aspire to. I know when I was writing The Friend, The Friend is about a woman who moves to Brighton with a her husband gets a big promotion here and she doesn't want to move here, but he, um, I say here, I mean to Brighton. Um, but she kind of realises that her marriage is going to be over if she doesn't move with him. So she comes with him and doesn't have a job. And she's always worked and she's always been very self-sufficient. And when she comes here, she doesn't have a job and, you know, she has to mould her life around the children's school times and things. And slowly but surely her husband loses respect for her. And, and that's part of the crux of it. You know, she's trying to find a new life and she's trying to um, make friends here and then obviously gets herself involved in the mystery of what happened to one of the women at the school but one of the things I wanted to explore in that was the idea that you know that your husband has always loved you and cared about you but then when the circumstances change and he is theoretically in a better in a stronger position how he sees you as, mm. as somehow lesser than and that's what you know, with Michelle Obama, it, it never felt felt like when you're reading it, it never feels like he ever saw her as lesser than because he wasn't a lawyer anymore. Or because I suppose in lots of relationships, there are going to be times when one partner is busier than the other, yeah. or work means that one. But that doesn't mean. I think it's probably much more about how much everybody is valued because yes. no work is necessarily objectively more significant yes. than other work, and it's how you sort of have that interplay I suppose but absolutely it's a really and that's what, fascinating yeah that's one of the lines in there one of the women in there she's talking to who says about how her husband wanted her to wait around for her for him to define how her life was going and how she'd ring her up you know and say oh, I'm, I'm off and didn't sort of like think that she might have something to do and so she sort of said she had three choices you know to leave him smother him to death in his sleep or, <laughs> or to sort of put up with it so she said obviously I put up with it but yeah that is the the power balance does change and that was one of the things I liked exploring in the whole in the friend I'm going to do a clunky segue although it's because very close to Michelle Obama women who are often powerful in an unambiguous way I see you've got thrilled by Jackie Collins oh absolutely and I've also got um the power trip by Jackie Collins as well and this one is, um, I think this, this one's signed. Oh, wow. She, um, That's a fabulous edition. You've got gold end papers. I know, yes. So she signed it, obviously, before she died. Oh, and 2012. She's got very neat writing. She's fantastic. She was always one of my, one of my writing heroes, Michelle, um, Jackie Collins. She, I used to love... I, used to, I read all her books when... I shouldn't have. I was very oh, young. So I was, was like this kind of preteen, under the covers. Yeah, well, yeah. I was like, yeah. And my friend and I, we used to used to get them out from the library, and we used to pass them around each other with each other, and read them together. And um, you know, she wrote about all these strong women, and she she always had a very strong sense of what a woman was about. I know. I mean, now I look back and I think. Maybe not as what I think a woman is, but at the time it was great. There was always these powerful women. They were always in control and they they took charge and, you know, they they were always very strong. Um, I've just been reading um, Vendetta, but I'm really sort of taken aback by how... So this, I think it must be like 20, 25 years old, but it's that I've, so many of the things that come up are things that are being talked about all the time absolutely. online now. And again, it's a little bit like A Handmaid's Tale where I'm like... Thought it would have changed, but it's got worse. But also, it's really... I don't think I necessarily appreciated how perceptive she was. And I think when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, she's all the feminism, I just want to get to the sex. And actually, it's like, no, this is great. I know, yeah, absolutely. I know um, I recommended them to my mother-in-law a couple of years ago, and she was uh, saying to me, they were just the, that was just the best recommendation ever, because... I couldn't believe that she hadn't ever read a Jackie Collins, and then I, I sort of said to her, "Oh, you need to read, you need to read a, a couple." And she's got loads of them. She went back and bought loads of them because she thought she thinks they're fantastic as well. I mean, they are fantastic. She she had a way of creating these characters. People, I mean, I probably would never meet, but you really cared about them, and you actually thought you kind of knew them by the end of the book. I think for me, it's a little bit like reading sci-fi because it's this world where everybody lives in billion-dollar yeah. penthouses <laughs> and the cars are ten miles long. And, and they have swimming pools and they... they that um, level of kind of yeah. fantasy. And they walk around in fields and stuff, yeah. Oh, I see you've got a lot of cookery books. And I always want to talk about cookery books and um, you don't see as many of them as you'd like. Do you like to cook? I do like to cook. I kind of come and go to cooking. A lot of these books came back 
from Australia with me when I lived in Australia. Oh, when did you live in Australia? Um, back in 2005 to 2007. So, um, and I had collected a lot of books. Um, what were you writing out there? Or I worked you... on Family Circle magazine. Ah, cool. So um, I worked on there and then I, they, that folded. Um, so I had to come back. And so I stayed there and finished off Marshmallows for Breakfast, which was what I was writing at the time, and then came home. Um, so I bought, I got a lot of these cookbooks from there, like the Donna Hay one, which I don't think you can really get here anymore. You couldn't get, at the time, you couldn't mm. get here, Donna Hay and Bill Ticos. Let's have a look at Donna Hay, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite wedged in. I know, yes, yeah, so my cookbooks are all wedged in. Ah, and it says family circle. circle yes, they had a book. They, they had a the book circle, book sale just before when they folded. They had a book sale, so I bought that. It was. Um... I mean, this I've never seen this, but this just looks like you know. I mean, this is me every night going. What am I going to have for tea? You know, like, just pick it, open it up at any stage, and so that's really exciting. Did the job come up, and you thought, well, why not? I'll go to Australia. Well, I went to a wedding in Australia, and I thought, oh, it's quite nice here. I think I'll move here because you know, single do what you like and then I saw the job advertised and I thought I applied for it and I, and I got it so I moved. Were so you working in journalism before that? Yes I used to be a journalist, well I still am a journalist really, newspaper magazines and things, editings and sub-editing which is kind of dying out and mm. um, writing, not as much writing but mainly editing and stuff yeah. I've got that book signed as well, that cookbook, um, Lisa, that Faulkner. Lisa Faulkner. I don't think I know Lisa Faulkner. Recipes from my mother for my daughter. Oh, that is a lovely concept. Dorothy, I really hope you like it. I can't quite believe I'm reading, I'm actually reading, reading my favourite author in my book. I'm sending. Sending. Oh, that's so lovely. That's a gorgeous picture of Lisa Faulkner in here. Yes. Uh, and here you've got a um, scones and quick raspberry jam. Yes, I think I did. Just I made that actually, I think. Are you... A cook or a baker, more would you say? I do both. I, I, I'm, I'm, my husband always laughs at me because I'm not very good at following a recipe, so I'm always going off plan. And then um, <laughs> things I don't, think that don't, means you're a cook rather than a baker. Yeah, I don't think so. Turn out. As... You can be quite creative with cooking, but yeah. I've learned the hard way that in baking yeah, there is yeah. no room for improv. Yeah, lots of measurements are needed. <laughs> yes. With, you know, editing and sub-editing, mm. it m must be just so, so great for writing novels because you know about kind of economy and rhythm and how to Yeah, I, I, I make always, things work on a page. I think it's, for me, that's one of the best things because I I always overwrite. I, I write far too much and then I have to go back and cut it down. But it's great. I love that. I love that bit of it. Um, the cutting things down and sort of taking out big chunks and making it all make sense. Um, I think I've read an interview where you said, was it your first novel where you had to cut out 50,000 words? No, no, it wasn't my first novel. That was uh, that was many novels oh. in it. was uh, <laughs> The Woman Who Loved Before. I cut oh. out 50,000 words, yeah. Because I overwrote so much and then had to just sit down and be ruthless. How uh, long does that take? Because I imagine it's not a case of just like highlighting the last... Oh, no, it's just, it's just no. going back, going reading through. Because I don't write in order. I had to put it all together like a jigsaw. <laughs> And then I go through, and then I, as I'm reading through, I'm going, yeah, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's too... Um, doesn't move the story. I mean, some of the best stuff you you think you've written, but you have to... Uh, Kill your darling. You yes, that's it. You have to get rid of it because it doesn't move the story onwards. So I think for anyone who writes or who'd like to write, I think it's really, really comforting to hear that, that you do sometimes, you get lost in the maze yes. and that not everything, that no matter how how good you are and I suppose perhaps the better you get the more you end up just yeah. being ruthless about your yeah I like being able to stand back and look at something and go right okay that's not going to work and that doesn't I mean I'd rather do it rather than other people do yes. it yes yeah, so it's better <laughs> I always feel better if I do it rather than someone else tell me that something has to go that makes a lot of sense 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Dorothy soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book so valuable that you'd take a day off work and travel all the way to a distant bus depot in order to claim it from lost property. This week, I've chosen Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Now, I've done a real 180 on this book. For years, I dismissed it as hippie nonsense without actually reading it, which we all know is the most dangerous thing you can do with any book. But after our guest, Angela Clark, talked about how much she loved it, I decided to give it a try, and it really did start a revolution in my brain. Gilbert writes beautifully and honestly, as we all know, but she really captures how terrifying it feels to want to create anything, and how we can confront the audacity of the act and revel in the terror. It doesn't matter what you dream about, I believe this book will inspire you to do it, and it will make sure that you enjoy doing it. Big Magic is published by Bloomsbury, and it's out now. Now back to Dorothy. Yeah. I've just spotted two um, former podcast guests who mm. are hanging out together on a shelf. Also, yeah. one introduced me to the other. So you've got um, Angela Clark and Erin Kelly. Yes. And Angela introduced me to Erin in um, oh, Bookwise okay. and Lifewise. Yes. Uh, these ones, I brought back these, the Jody Picos. Ah. That's why they've got a different cover to. Oh, these will oh, be so Austra- these Australian ones. These are Australian versions yeah gosh how australian comes are quite sort of austere aren't they yes yeah, so the, yeah, it feels a, like a very I've different got the whole from... the whole set at the t- up to that point with and then there's the the british ones here so it's very different mm, that's much sort of softer isn't it yeah the... so that's those are the two the, that's the pack what are so. your of all your editions mm. what are your own favorite covers now there any covers where you think have they read the book <laughs> of of my books yeah oh um well, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Most of my um, covers I'm involved with, the, the foreign ones, some of them are like, oh, okay. Um, they're very, some of them are very different to what I would do. Um, I know there's this, um, I'm trying to see. See, this one is, this one is kind of quite faithful. Um, that's That Girl from Nowhere, and there's a whole butterfly theme, and that's Icelandic edition. Oh, it's very pretty and I like because it's got the kind of Odinili sort of turquoise colour yeah. and the pink and it's like the Northern Lights. Yes. It's... Are the Northern Lights in Iceland or have I got my geography wrong? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that one is uh, the, I think that's the Russian version of Women Love Before. Can you tell me about um, Slap Lekker Leave Shat? That one, oh, um, that is, I think that's um, the <laughs> beautiful, I think. Yeah, I think that's Goodnight Beautiful. Yeah, Goodnight Beautiful that is. Oh, God, that's really... To see the cover and the hand holding the tiny, tiny shoes. Yeah. It's an it's a illustrated Hemingway story. I <laughs> Do you uh, do many events outside the UK? In, um... Um, I have been to Portugal a few times to do events there because my books, they sell quite well in Portugal. And... Um, I've been to Lithuania as well. They they sell very well there as well. So how does that work? Do you have someone kind of on stage with you translating you? Or yes, they... they or they have uh, earphone things. But uh, the Portuguese, a lot of Portuguese people really can speak English quite well. And you know, 
they make more of an effort than we do to learn other languages. I know when I, the first time I went over, lots of the people who came to see me and to get their books signed came with their partners and a lot of them said, oh, he could speak English. So he would say, oh, she really loves your books. Um, And then a couple of years later, when I went back, they came on their own because they, they'd learned to speak English and they, they sort of like said, oh, do you remember when I met you a couple of years ago? It was really nice. Can you remember when you were little, when you went, either what books you bought or what books you sort of longed for when you were looking at the shelves? Yeah, we were, I actually used to spend a lot of time in the library. I used to spend a lot of time in the library. I used to go to the library every day after school and read all sorts of things. I used to read all sorts. There was so much. There were so many books there. I mean, that's one of the things I love about libraries there was so much there and you know you can just you can just go there and spend hours there and pick up all sorts of books I used to pick up all the big fairy tales you know and then they're, they're, they're huge books and I used to read them and um oh god I read so much I remember I used to get books out all the time you sit there you know like they're in a cut co- under the covers reading them with the light from the corridor I remember I came obsessed with the uh, Judy Bloom. <gasps> For, uh, it's I remember. funny because Gigi Bloom comes up so much. Yes, I know it's funny, isn't it? How sort of kind of segued from Judy Bloom to Jackie Collins not long after. So the gateway drug. <laughs> yes. Um, I do think there's something for a certain kind of young reader where. When you're a kid, he feels a little bit at odds with the rest of the world. The library is the one place where you can sort of go and try being an adult. Yes. Nobody else will have you. Like, the, the adults won't have you, the other kids won't have you, but you can go to the library. And that and, can be... And, yeah, and, and no one knows what you're, what you're reading, mm. what you've picked up, and all the stuff you know. You learn about all these fantastic things, and no one knows. There's still the thing I always think about, Gigi Bloom, is in Are You There, God, It's Me, mm. Margaret, and the, the belt for the sanitary Oh, yeah, press. the sanitary and treads, yeah. That had sort of been phased out by the time it was... And I was really, really disappointed. Well, I was, <laughs> I was really, really fascinated about what, what, the, what they were and how, how it worked. And, um, yeah, I remember that. I remember the notes in the toilet as well. That was one of the things that I remember quite vividly from the Judy Bloom books. Um, I remember I mentioned uh, Forever in The Ice Cream Girls because, obviously, it's about... A girl who gets a, a woman who, when she was a teenager, has a gets involved with a, with an older man, and she finds her daughter, her teen daughter's reading forever, and so she starts freaking out um, because obviously she knew mm. Judy Bloom was a gateway drug to all sorts of things. <laughs> I think it's really lovely though when you can kind of reference your yes. own reading history in your yes. books and put these Easter eggs, and I suppose that's quite a. Um, that happens a lot in the kind of the comic book universe, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Everything yeah. is sort of a little note from before. Yeah. I know we've talked a bit about really, you know, awful, heartbreaking, toxic relationships, but do you have any favourite love stories or favourite couples in books? Oh, I remember, I haven't, I don't know. Oh, well, there's a beautiful book here of love poems. Penguin's yes. Poems for They're love. great, actually. They're nice to just pick up. It's a yes. really nice addition to the yeah. sound. These um, anthologies are lovely because with poetry, it's nice to kind of. I don't know, you want to read lots of things, but lots of different voices. Yes. Sometimes, I think. Yeah, or just, or just to have, just dip in and out. It's not, um, you're not sort of committed to the whole thing. I don't seem to have that many love <laughs> <laughs> stories happy down here. Yeah. One that I really enjoyed years and years and years ago was a Sophie Kinsella book, which was... Oh, weirdly, the... I was just looking at the Shop yes. of the Stars down there. Yes. So I was just thinking about Sophie Kinsella. It was, it was the one... Oh, was it Would I Lie to You or something like that? It was one about she meets a guy on the plane. She sat, sits next to this guy and they, she thinks they're going to crash. And so she ends up telling him all her secrets, oh. all the things she's, she's done terribly wrong. And then um, a couple of days later discovers that he's her new boss. And, it's just, and so she, <laughs> and she's told him all these things. I thought that's quite a nice story. That I like that one. I think she's so good at plot and so good at premises. And I yes. think it works because as well as the kind of the reaching for the romance, I think that the women she writes are so lovable themselves. Yes, it's kind of the really, extra, your, yeah, you really like it's your them. love story with them as a reader. Yeah. I know um, Gavana Fletcher books, though. they're nice heartwarming books. She's, like and um, you're reaching for everyone and you know that you're going to. Yes. There's um, her one there, Dream, A Little Dream. Oh, here it is. Uh, you're the one that I want. And there's Julie Cohen, another friend of the podcast. Yes. It's really I lovely, like actually. The more we do, the more the more pals we spot on yes. bookshelves. 
Oh, there's another one as well. It's a shopaholic and baby. Yes, and there's um, Julie's dear thing as well. And there's Gone Girl. Um, not a heartwarming romance. No, not at all. Are there any kind of characters you've read where you thought you'd be really fun to hang out with in real life if you could go to lunch with anyone? I quite like the characters from one of Linda Green's books. Um, the one where the mum's set up a political party. Occurred. I really like that cover. Yes, it's a great cover. Got a lovely kind of... Got a, describe it yes. <laughs> it's sort of a kind of a gray lilac it's called and then it happened and it's a sort of silhouetted couple with a red umbrella mel taylor was 13 years old when she found her mr right 20 years on they remained blissfully in love um, seemingly perfect life is spoiled by a dark secret and a niggling fear that her good fortune can't last forever and then it happened and then it happens yes. um oh, so i'm gonna read this it looks fab oh yeah she, she is great actually she's she writes more psychological filler books at the moment. She was one of the Richard and Judy, recent Richard ah. and Judy things. But um, her book, where there's four mothers who end up setting up a political party because they, um, they're so fed up of all the things that are happening around them, they decide to do something about it, and it's great. Because I like their characters. That sounds right. like another book that's just become even more sort of prescient and relevant. <laughs> was that? Oh, yes, absolutely. This one, this was a great one. Oh, The Noon is for You by Sarita Domingo. Yeah, it's kind of, it's really nice sort of love story type thing. I'm not going to give too much away, but it's kind of, it's about a woman who um, meets a guy in a cinema and then meets him again. But unfortunately, he's with somebody else when she meets him again. But there's obviously a connection between them. Some of these books up here are my husband's books. Do you share books much? Do you read things that you recommend to each other or do you have quite different tastes? I think we have quite different tastes. That sometimes I'll, I'll read the book and I'll know that he'll he'll really enjoy it. For example, I read, after I read a couple of pages of the Araminta book, Araminta's book, I said to him, "Oh, you'll like this." So I gave it to him, and he really enjoyed that. He also really enjoyed uh, Apple Tree Yard. Ah. I knew I knew he'd really like that as well. So I gave him. So I I, I will start reading something. I think, oh, he'll enjoy this. So I give it to him, and he he reads a lot faster than I do. So he will. Um, he liked Girl on the Train as well. Does he read your books? Yes, he does, actually. After... Does he read them kind of when they are, when they come out as books, or does he read kind of early drafts and things? Oh, no, he doesn't read early drafts. No one reads early drafts. I, I finish a book and then I send it off to my editor, and um, he reads it as books. So he's currently reading um, Tell Me Your Secret, because he's away, so when he goes away, he reads them. Is that so you can't like, look over his shoulder and be like, well, what no, do you think? No, mainly because it's, it's most of the time he gets to read when he travels. He travels quite a bit for work, so he... Um, he gets to read then. I don't mind if he sits there taking forever to finish a book <laughs> at all and to tell me what he thinks. I don't mind at all. I do think it's so weird and interesting, isn't it? Because obviously millions and millions of people read your books. Strangers read your books and they, but you know, that's, that's your job. That's yes. your livelihood. But it's that very odd intimacy of someone you know very, very well reading something you've completely imagined and dreamed up. Yeah, and him wondering if I've <laughs> where I've come up with the ideas from and if I'm going to smother him in sleep to to death in his sleep I wouldn't ever do that obviously <laughs> well I've got three options it's fine it's fine I'll believe you but I thought you know even with non-fiction sometimes with good friends and with my family they're like well we never ever would have sat down and had a conversation where I told you all of the stuff about myself because yes. it would just be extremely boring for you and yes. yeah it's just all it's this, this information there. it's this there and you have to you sort of take it in as well. And you have no sort of comeback until you've finished it, do you really? How do you find the sort of... Because I'm guessing you must get sent a lot of books for kind mm. of reviews and quotes and things. Is that exciting, overwhelming, bit of both? Do you um, have storage issues? No, it, it, well, storage issues, yeah, especially because I, I, like I said to you before, I um, I tend to buy the books that I've I've been sent so that, you know, to support the writer such a lovely lovely thing to do and well, I think kind that... of, it's kind of respecting your industry because you know that's what we do we mm. want people to buy our books and so I should buy people's books as well um whether I'm sent it or not yes I, I do like getting them but I, I have so much time squeezed at the moment it's just really hard trying to write and trying to research and then do everything else you know you have to do with the book and then trying to read as well. Are there any kind of either classics or things that came out, you know, five years ago or 10 or 20 years ago that you've always, always wanted to read but you've just never had a minute to get round to? Your kind of eternal to-read list. 
It's weird because I I hardly ever get to read, you know, the books that are the big hype hyped mm. books. Because Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, my husband read them. I I haven't read any of them. I read one Harry Potter. I haven't read any more. There's so many books that are like you know the 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 biggest selling mm. ones that I very rarely get a chance to read because there is so almost so much else to read and then suddenly it's like oh it's passed me by. And I think sometimes with those books, they're so out there and you feel as though you can absorb so much from yeah, without. Yeah, you don't actually need to. Uh... I feel a little bit like that with games of Game of Thrones. I've never watched a single oh, never, episode of Game either. of Thrones. That was, that, was, uh, that was kind of passed me by. And my... What sort of books? Do you sort of share books with your parents or are there things that you they sort of recommended really... that you've loved? Not really, or... actually, no. It's completely different with my dad used to like political books and stuff. I don't know. My, my sister reads very different type types of books to me, but she reads my books, but she reads a lot of literary books. I think it's such a funny sort of classification that we have now, isn't it? And oh, absolutely, makes yeah. a, And I d- often think that all that really makes a book, you know, I'm doing air quotes here for everybody listening at home, I'm doing air quotes, you know, literary or, or commercial. It's just kind of often the, the packaging Absolutely, as much as yeah. anything. Yeah, um, and, and the subject matter, I suppose. Mm. I mean, I like reading all sorts of books. I do read some literary books, but I do tend to gravitate towards more commercial, as they say. Books. Did you read Wolf Hall? Will you be reading the, the new one? No, I haven't actually read it. Is it there? I've never up? read Wolf Hall. I can see Beyond Black. Yeah, I don't think I have Wolf Hall. No, I haven't actually. I, I think my husband read it. I don't. I haven't read it. It's definitely that's on my eternal to read. To read, I yeah. will get there one day. Yes, because there is quite a lot of um, of nonfiction. I use it for research and for subjects, central subject to a book. I will get a load of books in that subject and read them. Are there any books you've read or writing advice that you've really found sort of useful or helpful? A lot of people, they find it, the Stephen King book on writing mm. very helpful. I haven't read it myself. I have read his other books. I have read his fiction books. Did you read those sort of as an adult or a teen or just throughout when they came out? Throughout, actually. I remember, um, obviously, I can't read it because that's just like my oh, idea God. of hell. Clowns. Clowns. Oh, clowns. Um, but I read a lot of like Green Mile and the one that became Stand By Me, it was that called The Body the body in the woods or something and I still think a lot about Carrie and I think that's oh, yeah, amazing yeah, but in the way it's presented as journalism yes I know and it's really quite because it's so I mean that's that's like the ultimate teen book isn't it but it's mm. kind of awful there's a real kind of economy to it that I really really like and I think sometimes god I'm going to be thrown out of somewhere for saying this but occasionally I think because I don't I'm not someone who loves getting very, very scared. I do find bits of, you know, later books a little bit bloated, like obviously because he's such a megastar. Mm. You know, sometimes there are writers who, who don't have the good sense to say, I need to lose 50,000 words <laughs> to have that courage. <laughs> yeah, I am, I, um, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of being scared. I get very, because uh, I think about it, it's not, it's not so much watching it is one thing or reading it is one thing, but it's the afterwards, mm. the sort of line they're going. Do you remember when that thing happened in that and and that person and then you hear because you know you hear sounds you're like what was that what was that so I I actually scare myself more than the actual yeah thing I read or watched did so I think that's it that I think you're either the sort of person who's like ah ha that will never happen to me yeah, like, that well, could definitely that happen, happen to yeah, me so and that, I'm the, yeah, yeah and that's why you're waiting for one of the best bits of writing advice I think is is to read to mm. actually because people don't read and. You can't write without reading. Um, and people often have said, you know, oh, I don't read anything out there, it's all rubbish. And I was like, oh, good luck, because how, read... How do you know if you're not reading Absolutely. it? Absolutely, and also you just need to know what's mm. being published and what stories are out there. And So, yeah, I think that's the best writing advice, apart from just actually just write it. When time allows, do you reread much, or are there any books that you've read many Very, times? Very rarely reread stuff. Um, the only thing that I probably reread is... Um, my own books because I want to see how I did something and to see which bits of something I would might I might change if I was writing them now. I wouldn't go back and change things, but I if I was rewriting them in the present, the mm. things that I would change. Yeah, so growth I, and I, development. Well, yeah, absolutely. Do you 
feel very, very connected with your books? Do you sort of start, oh yes, I know what this book is, or do you ever read bits of your own books where you think, I have no memory of writing this? <laughs> I don't, sometimes I don't remember. Sometimes I go, wow, that's really good actually. I wrote that, wow. Yeah, when, when I'm in writing the book, I feel like, I feel like I'm that person and um, I'm all walking that journey with them and then we get to the end and it's like, oh, you know, because I put my characters through a lot. So when I get to the end, I feel I feel really bad for them. Um, <laughs> it's something that you said that I know about how you think it's a great compliment if someone assumes if you've written a, a sort of central character and, you know, a lazy journalist or a viewer is like, well, obviously this is who the writer is because that just shows how connected that yeah, to, you to, are to that person and how well you've drawn them. For me, when I'm writing a book, it isn't, I'm never think oh I'll just I'll bash it out and I'll send it off I, I can't do that I have to feel like I've lived that journey with them and then get to the end and when I rewrite it and then you know getting in the elements of who they are when I hand it over to my editor I don't ever feel like oh yeah can do what you like with it I can't ever feel like that because you know they they are a part of me and like you're very close with the readers as well in terms of what you want their experience to be well I want them to have a good time when they're reading it not necessarily a happy time but I want <laughs> them to be you know to be connected to it mm. and also I want them to feel like I've when they've spent their 8.99 their 12.99 I want them to know that every word I've thought about it and I've done my yeah. best you know and I've done my best to make sure that they they get their money's worth mm. for that for that book you know and that I've never sort of like thought okay I've, I've I've done it now I'll just I'll just walk away from it I always want people to because you know it's earning your money is really hard yeah. and and I, I want people to and you know I remember what it's like to have to make the choice between getting on the train to work or eating so and I know people who buy my books a lot of them do have to make those choices yeah. they do are, they are financially strapped so when they spend that money on the book, I want to make sure that they enjoy no every second. Doing it casually, exactly. It's a real yeah, treat yeah, absolutely. Really yeah, treat. so yeah, so I do want to feel connected to them as well, so, so that they know that I've created this character, I've created this world, and I want them to enjoy it. Like I say, not necessarily be happy, but enjoy <laughs> enjoy the read experience or learn something from it. Yeah. You might not want to answer this, so we'll see how it goes. The experience of being edited. Do you feel like that is a sort of positive and constructive or do you ever get editorial feedback where like oh, I don't think so no uh, well having been an editor of sub-editor who's cut things you know you have to cut things to fit onto the page when I get the feedback I always think huh okay and then I'll sit back and I'll go actually do you know what they're probably right they've got a point and I will change something not necessarily how they wanted me to change it I will change it to fit the character or the story or my personality but yeah it's not it's not easy being edited but it's not it's not awful for me and I but I do want to be involved I am very involved in in a lot of the stuff that I do so and in my book you know I can't like I say to you I can't just send it in and go do what you like with it and and then so I see it six months later on the shelves I have to be involved at every stage and if someone says to me I don't think this is true this wouldn't happen I always think well I think it would, but I just need to either get back up so I can check with an expert to see that if that would happen like that. If not, I would rewrite it so it's true to the story and not just true to to have a good twist, you know, because mm. that's the temptation is really there to sort of go, oh, I'll just do this to, to, to have, we've got a massive twist and no one will guess it. But then if you look at the character and you look at what their situation they're in, you're not being fair to yourself or to the reader, to the character, so... Weirdly, my dad always says that about Agatha Christie, that he thinks that what he really, really likes about her is she's very sort of collaborative with her reader. It's shocking and it takes a lot of guessing, but he doesn't think there are any books where you're like, that came out of nowhere, that Absolutely. it's quite respectful. Yes, yeah, so you have. Yeah, that's it. That is it, being respectful. And you kind of put the clues in, you put the clues in there so that people can see that, look back and they go, Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That was there. That was there all along. It's just that you weren't seeing, which is why, you know, it drives my husband crazy. We were watching something and I'll go, well, that's that. And he'll go, can you just not? <laughs> <laughs> because because I, I will. And that's why I read quite slowly. That's my other thing. My other problem with reading is I read very slowly because I read every word and I and I absorb all the little clues and stuff. So it's very rare. I won't guess the twist because I have 
seen the clues and the way that someone's written that they've put a word in or they've put in a scene and you go oh I could actually and, you, and then get to the end and go yes that was the point where you kind of guess I mean, do you think that's the journalist in you always looking for the story in the story yeah maybe she's just annoying person in me <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true when I was very young I used to read a lot of um, Sherlock Holmes stuff I, I, I used to love that the Sherlock oh. Holmes world, you know. Again, some of the things I, I look back and I think, oh, it's quite problematic. But I liked the detective element and the who he was and how he was a very flawed character. Mm. Um, but also how he worked things out and logically worked things out. I really, I really liked that. Um, I suppose there's a touch of the judge dress to Sherlock Holmes, yes, isn't there? Yes, that cold, it's a cold, emotionless man. Yes. logic. Yes, absolutely. See, a lot of detective stories, I kind of, a lot of them are too extreme for me. I I like a lot of crime books, but I don't don't sort of fall in love with the character with the with the detective. Mm. If you see what I mean, and I wish there were more female detectives yeah. that I could relate to. They're all like he drinks whiskey and keeps himself to himself yeah. since the divorce. Yes, exactly. And I like that. I do like. I have to say, I do. I do like reading that in the in the book, and I do think it adds to that story. But there aren't ones who who are like me, as in detectives who are like myself. Because I suppose that's it, isn't it, that you can't... Because sometimes I read them and I just feel, oh, I'll never solve this. Yeah. But if you can have that empathy and be like, well, you know, we can solve it together. Yeah, and you can you can be you can be a normal person. And that's one of the things with, um, with my books I hope I get across. An ordinary person does end up solving. Very few of them are um, detectives. And Tell Me Your Secret is different because one of the characters is... A detective but she is she has her own motivations for it's not just about solving the crime mm. she's she's that's not just her job whereas in the friend or the brian mermaid or even a bit in the ice cream girls or the woman love before they're all ordinary people like me and you who end up solving mm. the crime you know sometimes accidentally but a lot of time through trying to work out what the mystery is it's quite empowering i think isn't it to give that to Yes, sort of take it, it yeah, out. So anyone, it could be anybody. It could be you. You could you could be that person standing there who, who ends up solving the crime of the century. I finish on another, a raunchy fave. I see Jump by Jilly Cooper oh, yeah. with the exclamation I mark. That. I don't. I can't remember why I got that. So did you? Have you read uh, any of the others? I've actually read any Jilly Cooper. It was always. Oh. I was always a Jackie. Ah, uh, like um, Madonna and Kylie. You're yeah. very much a more trampled <laughs> yeah. the other. Because I, I was definitely more Jilly than Jackie as a teenager, but yeah. I'm having a real Jackie. But then I do remember just... <sighs> I remember reading The Stud when I was 13 or 14 and being obsessed with this idea that... Um, is it Fontaine? And yes. her whole house seems to be made out of, like, shagpile carpet. She's got furry yeah, walls yeah, for, and a furry uh, lift. And... Oh, yeah, no, I was... Uh, I remember... Um... Sydney Sheldon, I used to like that as well. Oh, I don't know Sydney Sheldon. Oh. Tell me. Sydney Sheldon was like Jackie Collins, but male writing oh. these. I can't imagine reading them now, but uh, <laughs> what they'd be like. But yeah, they used to have had lots of uh, miniseries as well. With um, it was a bit, it was a bit lace as well. I remember lace. Oh yes, the which one of you is my mother? <laughs> <laughs> I used to love, I love lace as well. It's all the you know eighties and the oh, big hair. Nice. There's one with um, American. Or... Yeah, he's American. Was it something to midnight? Something to midnight. Where there's a woman who, who ends up getting, uh, stitched up and ends up in prison, and then she comes out of prison wanting revenge. It's fantastic. Oh. It is fantastic. I'm gonna be tracking <laughs> this down because it sounds great. Yes, absolutely. Huge thanks to Dorothy. She's at Dorothy Coombson on Twitter. And follow her and tell her how much you love Tell Me Your Secret. It is great. I think that you'll really, really love it. I'm Daisy Buchanan and I've been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me, fellow shelf obsessives. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy Bee. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked, for more information about our guests and a list of the books they've talked about. If you've got any other queries about the podcast, email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. But now I leave you with some words from Stephen Wright. 
A lot of people ask me if I was shipwrecked and could only have one book, what would it be? I always say, how to build a boat. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.